0: Have you ever felt helpless, yeah, yeah. like you're faced with a daunting obstacle, yeah, in yeah, a situation yeah. where you <laughs> feel like, I wish someone could just help me to bridge this gap, like, uh, you know, when you're standing in the tube station, it says, "Mind the gap. <coughs> oh, dear. Sometimes it's a small gap, and uh, like someone made a joke of this, and sometimes it's like this grand canyon. It's like, how are we going to cross this gap? But uh, as we see, as we will see today, that is what, uh, you see if I can swipe on this too, I can. That's what friends are for, is to help us to cross the gap. These are uh, army ants and uh, in Central America. Yeah, we actually saw some of them when we were at the conference in Panama. Uh, where they, they are quite amazing. They build bridges. And, and this is just a tiny little one, just to give you some idea. Uh, they build bridges over water, like one meter, two meter streams, uh, between trees. Uh, I've seen one that's like a, like a hanging bridge that's like probably a meter long. It, it is quite amazing. Where... Any one of them is like, how am I ever going to bridge this gap? But when the friends come together, it's, uh, it becomes possible. And uh, so the topic today is, I want to talk about just one point, which is intercession. Uh, who's, who knows the word intercession? Who's familiar with it?
1: Okay, so it's a new word. Okay,
0: I Don't worry, it will all be explained from the dictionary, so it will become clear what this word means. Uh, it is Relationships Month, and it actually fits quite well, the, the whole idea of bridging the gap and helping each other to, to do that. So let's get into Acts 12, from verse 1, where Peter is faced with this kind of situation, where he is helpless. He is uh, has a huge chasm in front of him, uh, and we pick it up in Acts 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. This is a key verse here. Here is Peter, all his own, in prison, surrounded by... How's your math? How many soldiers? Sixteen soldiers, four squads of four each. His uh, best friend, another apostle, James, was just executed, Mm -hmm. head chopped off. And he must be thinking, what's next for me? Mm -hmm. How do I get out of this? Mm -hmm. Out of this prison? How, How do I get out of this situation? In the meantime, the church was praying earnestly to God for him. So verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers. But he was still at peace with uh, God, not having sleepless nights about his dilemma. We were sleeping, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an <coughs> angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. I can imagine that Peter must be thinking, like, him, is this a dream? Is this real? Am I awake? <coughs> How do you know, pinch yourself, like, him. no, this must be a dream. I mean, I'm in a prison, surrounded by 16 soldiers, in chains, with locked gates. I must be dreaming. And uh, so, in verse 11, it says, Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches, and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, so at this point he realizes, wow, okay, I'm not dreaming. It's real. Right. I'm actually outside the prison on the streets. So what does he do? He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying, as we saw in verse 5. The whole church was earnestly praying for him. So while they are still praying, he shows up at the door. Verse 13. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. <laughs> I, mean, I can imagine poor Peter. Please let me know I know on the shoulders on my on my heels. And then she just runs away, like, what? Just open the door. So she's so excited, so verse 15, you're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. So angels all over the place, that's another (laughs) lesson for another day. Um, Verse 16, but Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned (coughs) with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Well, this is quite an amazing story. There's a lot of lessons in this, but the key lesson is these two verses. In verse 5... The whole church was earnestly praying to God for him. And in verse 12, many people had gathered and were praying. This is where this word intercession, or to intercede, comes in. The whole church was interceding for Peter. And what this word means is to go in between. Um, It is to intercede on behalf of someone else. So, for example, the synonyms of that would be to mediate or to act as an intermediary, uh, to, to be a broker for someone, to intervene, to, to step in or to step into the gap, um, to take action for someone, to, to plead on the behalf of someone. And it literally comes from the uh, 16th century French and Latin intercedere, which means in between. Or inter, between, and sedere, to go. So to go in between. When someone needs you, to step in the gap and go in between him and what the situation is. Now we can intercede physically for someone um, and rescue them from a situation. So listen to a a sound clip this week. It was quite funny. The kids all out. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Won't be a good news for now. I'm just teasing. <laughs> just teasing. Play the sound clip of this, this boy is—I uh, I guess he's maybe six, seven, eight years old He calls emergency services. And this lady picks up and says, uh, "Hello, what's your emergency?" And he says. My mom's coming home, and she said, I must finish my homework when she comes. And I've got fractions to do, and I can't do fractions. It's an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> so this lady was very kind, and she said, oh, what's your problem? And he said, I can't add 1 over 4 plus 3 over 4. And she's very kind, and she helped him, and she explained to him how the fractions work. And then they said... Oh, you saved me. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm not in trouble anymore. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so sorry that I had to call you, but it, but it really was an emergency. Uh-huh. And she was very conscious. You yeah, we <coughs> need your help. You know, it's a, you might have to call again if you get stuck, but, but really ask your teacher first or ask your friend. <laughs> but uh, you could hear the relief in his voice when he was stuck and someone else right. came to his rescue. Someone else practically just helped him. But there's more uh, more to it than this in the Bible. Because what we see here is that the disciples didn't practically do anything. They just prayed. And this whole idea of spiritually stepping in between, coming in between, appealing to God on behalf of someone else, we find throughout the Bible. Now, who can think of someone or some situations in the Bible where someone interceded, or someone else with God. What do you think of some examples? Other than this, other than this one, I mean, we've just read this one. Yes? Um, the prophet Nathan and David, and David doesn't realize that he's in the terrible place, and Nathan kind of tells him a story and tells him off. Right. Intercedes between him and God, effectively. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, he asks Nathan to please pray for God to forgive mm-hmm. me, which he did. Mm-hmm. That's intercession. Yes. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts? Jesus with Peter, kind of, because he says, "I prayed for you that your faith may not fail." Exactly. Yeah. Right. Interceding for you. Actually, if we, if if you read through the Bible with this perspective and think about it, the Bible is littered. It is like. Those who intercede for others writes history in the Bible. If we just go through a list of of some examples, Moses intercedes three times for Israel. In fact, when they're on the edge of the promised land and they rebel, God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to destroy all of them, and you and a select few can go into the promised land. And Moses intercedes and he says, God, please, just send me into the desert, but spare your nation. He interceded for the whole nation of Israel. And not just once, but three times. Um, Moses interceded for Miriam. Samuel interceded for the whole nation of Israel. Uh, There's a nameless, in in 1 Kings uh, 13, verse 6, there's a a nameless man of God who intercedes for King Jeroboam. Uh, David interceded for the whole of Israel, in Chronicles. In Daniel, Daniel interceded for Jerusalem. He had this vision, and he said, God, remember your prophecy. Please spare Jerusalem, and open the door so we can go back there. Uh, Esther, when the whole nation of Israel was faced, the Jews were faced with destruction, she sends a message and says, please fast for me. So she actually asks for intercession, and then she intercedes by going to see the king and try and get the Lord to, to save Israel. And we can go on and on and on and on. There's, there's so many examples. Almost all of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all of them interceded. They were not just messengers from God to, to Israel, but they were also messengers from the people to God when the people were not speaking up for themselves, the prophets saw the need, and they went to God and said, God, please do something. Please change something. There's nothing I can do. We need you. And that is spiritual <coughs> intercession. Um, now, these are all great prophets and everything, but this story we read in Acts is basically just a church interceding. Nameless people, average disciples like you and I. And we can learn from that of what role can we play in our relationships with each other to intercede for each other with God. Sometimes we face situations where we feel like a brother or sister comes to you and you think like, sometimes you feel like, oh, I can help out, I can give you some advice, I can do something for you. Sometimes you're like, I don't know, I'll pray for you. And sometimes it's not, you know, it's not these, oh, I'm feeling a little bit sick. Okay, I'll pray for you to get better kind of prayers, but more like in, I really don't know what to do kind of prayers. Where it needs people to move God's heart to do amazing things. And that is something, if we think about it, it's like, wow, isn't that amazing to, to move the heart of the creator of the universe to change his plans? To do something different than what was going to happen. That is the power of intercession. The power of interceding on behalf of someone else. Let's go to Genesis 18, verse 16. And Abraham is not on that list. But this is one of the most extensive examples of intercession in the Bible. And we're going to learn some practicals from Abraham about... how do we, uh, Genesis 18, 1-8, verse 16, <coughs> learn some practicals from Abraham about how can we intercede, what does that look like when we intercede with God for someone else. So the context here is, God sends two angels uh, to Abraham to tell him that God is going to destroy these two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where Abraham's cousin Lot lives with his family. Uh, somehow, Abraham's heart is touched by this, even though he knew how evil those cities were. And when he hears this message, he thinks like, I've got to do something. But, but what can I do? What can I? Am I going to stand between God and destroying the city? I'm mean going to like, He'll just be destroyed with it. There's no way that's going to happen. So let's see what Abraham did in verse 16 of Genesis 18. It says when the men, the, the, that's the two angels, who brought him the message, when they got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Uh, in verse, uh, I'm just going to skip over for sake of time, not read all the verses. In verse 19. Uh, sorry, let's keep going to verse 20. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous. And then God says, that I'm going to destroy these two cities. So Abraham's heart is moved. And we pick it up in verse 23. It says, Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? So Abraham goes to God and says, God, are you really going to destroy this whole city? And he starts reasoning with God. He, he, he intercedes for them. and says, God, <coughs> could I possibly change your mind to do something different? And he starts off and he says, what if there's just 50 people, 50 good people in this city? In verse 25 he says to God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked. Treating the righteous and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Verse 26. The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. That's amazing. Abraham already moved God's heart. He interceded for the city. But then Abraham probably knew that The picture wasn't that uh, bright for for Sodom. He sort of started his offer high, but he knew that uh, 50 righteous people in that city? I don't think so. So he goes back to God, and he starts negotiating. And he said, what if there's 45? And God says, okay, if there's 45, I will not destroy it. And then he goes down to 40, and 30, and 20. And then he goes back a last time, and he said, just once more, God. What if only ten can be found there? And God answered him and he said For the sake of ten I will not destroy it This is an amazing story Where Abraham's heart is moved And because his heart is moved He moves God's heart And he not only moves God's heart once But he keeps on shifting (coughs) it along From fifty righteous people to eventually just ten intercede to save the city. <coughs> well, unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. Um, <coughs> and there's a time where we're all going to end up at the gates of, with Peter, or however you, whatever your vision of is of how that day is mm. going to be. <laughs> and this guy shows up and he says, any chance of a plea bargain, which is a legal term when you make a deal with the prosecution so you don't go to jail. At some point, it's too late. And unfortunately, even though God agreed, I will not destroy the city, it was too late for Sodom and Gomorrah. There was not even 10 righteous people. There were eight, I think, was it? It's Lot and his wife and his three sons and the, and, they, and their wives. Yes. Something like that. Yeah, so anyway, it's less than 10. And the, and the cities were destroyed, nevertheless. But God was willing, uh, except. They didn't quite meet the criteria. Sometimes it's too late. So interceding doesn't guarantee the outcome. God is still sovereign. God is not like the gods of the Romans, where if you bring enough sacrifices, you will please the gods and they will do as you tell them to do. Intercession is not like that. It's not us telling God what to do, but it is pleading with God to move his heart. And if it's not too late, or it's not beyond his decision that's going really to made, then God can make changes, like saving Peter from a jail. So, spiritual intercession is interceding with God in prayer for someone else so that God will intercede in their lives. And that's the pattern we see throughout yeah. the Bible. Sometimes God changes things, and sometimes He doesn't. Uh, King Hezekiah was going to die, uh, the prophet interceded for him, and his life was extended by, I think it was 10 or 20 years or something. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's something like that. I didn't actually check my facts. Um, but anyway, his life was extended after intercession. That is the effect of intercession, the power of intercession uh, for other people's lives. So let's review the story of Abraham quickly and see what can we learn from this. First of all, there is boldness. Abraham approached God and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I mean, that's, that's quite audacious, you can almost say. Mm. You know, when God has already decided something, to say, Oh, hang on, God. I know you, God the almighty creator of the universe, you have all wisdom, the God of all righteousness, Uh, you've warned these people so many times, you've sent them prophets, but can I say something here? Can you? uh, That's bold. That's very bold. Abraham had this boldness. Intercession sometimes needs boldness to say, dare I pray this prayer? And the examples we see in the Bible is yes, we do dare. The second thing we see from him is pleading. He pleads with God. He says, but God, what if there's just 50 righteous people? That's a plea. God, please, can you save them? Is there some way in which you can work this out? The third thing we can, is reasoning with God. and That's quite amazing. He appeals to God's own character. He says, God, follow me from you to do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked. It's like, God, i mean, you're a good God. He appealed to God's conscience, if you could call it that. I'm not sure if God has a conscience, being perfectly holy and righteous. If someone can enlighten me on that one, I'll be... I'll appreciate that. So, yes. That's one of those questions that's beyond me. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, but certainly, he appealed to God's character and his integrity. Integrity is acting in accordance with your values and your beliefs. And he appeals to God's integrity. He says, God, but you are loving, righteous. You won't kill the good ones with the bad ones. And God listened because he saved Lot and his family. Moses did the same thing when he he prayed for Israel. He said, God, you just rescued this nation from Egypt. If you now destroy them, Egypt's going to laugh at you. And they're going to mock you. And God was like him. Okay, good point. (laughs) So, it's amazing that we can reason with God if we really think about his character, his integrity and remind him of his promises. Not that he forgets, but I think he likes that when we remind him because it shows him that we have it on our hearts as well. So he reasoned with God. Very important, Abraham came with humility. In verse 27, he says, God, I know I've been so bold as to speak to you, but though I am nothing but dust and ashes. It's helpful to remember that. It's like, I am speaking to God here, and I am, who am I? I'm just nothing. I'm just one of seven billion humans on this planet. To approach with humility. And then lastly, he interceded with perseverance. (coughs) In fact, in verse 22, he says, May the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only ten can be found there? So he started with fifty, forty-five, forty, thirty, twenty, ten. Six times he went back. Sometimes intercession takes perseverance. Uh, to go back again, and again, and ask again. I say, God, please, please, again. Sometimes it takes persevere over a long time. I'm just thinking of uh, Liesl's mom who's been studying the Bible for a few months now. We've been disciples for almost 25 years now. In fact, it's 25 years. January is 25 years. Uh, her mom came to church with us the first time in the few, first few weeks after we were baptized, 25 years ago. And she came a few times and then for a long time there was a lot of resistance, no interest and, and doesn't really want to talk about it, doesn't want to study the Bible or anything. After 25 years now, she's studying the Bible, she wants to be baptized, no hopefully in May when eagle goes to South Africa she can have the privilege of baptizing her mom. These things happen with perseverance in prayer. And if we look back, it seems like, what have we actually done well, nothing really except praying. There's nothing different or more that, that, that we did, or Liesl did, that special, that stands out, that's like, wow, she did that, and then her mom decided, okay, wow, well, okay, I think it's time. It's like, you step back and think like, what have I actually done? Nothing, it's just her heart changed like that. It's just a response to prayer. Uh, My brother was baptized a year and a half ago. Uh, also in Pretoria same thing I invited him to church a few weeks after I was baptized had one or two conversations to him big time resistance not interested been praying for him over the years sometimes giving up sometimes stopping sometimes not praying at all then praying again and then one day completely unexpected I get a phone call from him saying um, when, he me said, when are you coming to South Africa again?'" So oh, no. I said, only in mean, nine months' time." He said, "Oh, that's a pity. That's too long because I want you to come and baptize me." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and then we started studying the Bible. I said, oh, "I'm not to baptize you, but it's not that simple." So, and then we started studying the Bible, and eventually got baptized there. But uh, I'm like, "What did I do? I did nothing except pray." Oh, no. And pray with perseverance. And pray with not giving. There are other things which I'm praying for, which I've given up sometimes. I think, like, hang on, I haven't prayed about that for a long time. I'm not persevering anymore. So, these are some qualities of intercession that we can learn from Abraham: to intercede with boldness, with pleading, with reasoning with God, with humility, and with perseverance. And uh, if I apply this to myself, these are good questions I ask myself. When I intercede in prayer, do I just ask, or do I really plead with God? There's a difference. So, someone says, oh, I'm feeling a bit sick, will you pray for me? I I ask. But if there's a big need, then sometimes I also just ask. Do I reason with God? appealing to his promises, his integrity, appealing to his character, to his love, to his covenant. Do I demand, or do I approach God with humility and in submission? Do I persevere? Does God see how serious I am by my perseverance? (coughs) On the other side of this, if you're faced with a, a gap, a big gap, an obstacle, a problem, if you're stuck it is good to express your need Paul did not hesitate I mean he was an apostle God spoke to him directly Jesus appeared to him yet he had the humility to express his need just two examples in Colossians 4 verse 3 he says at the same time pray for us too, meaning him and his traveling companion that God may open a door to us for the word to speak to the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. He realized, like Peter, I'm stuck in prison. What can I do? I can ask for prayers. He expressed his need. The same in, uh, in Romans 15, verse 30. He says, Join me in the struggle by your prayers to God on my behalf. Sometimes you feel like, I'm praying. But please join me, because I need your prayers on my behalf. I need your intercession. I need you to step in the gap for me with God. So that's intercession. Do we all understand this word intercession now? Mm. It's, clear? it's a valuable word for a disciple to know. Um, so, how can we apply this to ourselves? Do I have the humility to make my needs known? It's a hard thing sometimes to be open and vulnerable and say, you know what, I'm stuck. Please pray for me for this. Here's another one. It's the issue of faith. Am I astonished when God intervenes? Like the people who were praying for Peter. God, please, almighty were praying. Then Peter knocks at the door and the girl says, Peter is here, and like him, nah, can't be. <laughs> and then he walks in, and they were astonished. It's like in, they should have gone. Of course, Peter, we've been praying for you. It's funny how sometimes when God answers our prayers, we're astonished. It's like, well, why are you astonished? I'm like that. I was astonished when my brother called me. I was like, no, this is unreal. It's like, okay, I'm sure God looked at me and said, oh, ye of little faith. What have you been praying about then all these years? <laughs> I mean, you ask me to intervene, and when I do it, you go, oh, how did this happen? Um, who am I interceding for? This is all about relationships. It is about us stepping into the gap for each other. Um, am I interceding for others? Am I taking it seriously? Uh, there was a time when I realized, I so glibly and easily say to people, Oh, pray for you. I'll oh, pray for you. People say, Oh, pray for you. For I'll oh, pray for you. Ten minutes later, I've already forgotten it. I start making notes. When I say I'll pray for someone, I, I try and make a note so I actually won't forget and will actually do. it. Um, so that when someone asks for intercession, like this morning on, on the way to church, we were praying in the car, and I realized, oh, someone asked me for yesterday already to pray for. Quite a serious thing with his relationship with his son, where they're not talking to each other at the moment. And, and I said I'll pray for him, and that was two days ago already, and I still haven't prayed for him. Um, to intercede is a serious business. And uh, I yeah, I really need to take it more seriously as well. Is it something for only the prophets? No, it's for all of us as disciples, every disciple. <coughs> in fact, we are called in Timothy 2 verse 1, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. He says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people." It's interesting how it's distinguished from this difference between petitioning, between praying, between thanksgiving, and intercession. It's like it's a special kind of prayer. Different from just asking, different from just petitioning, different from just praying. It's the kind of prayer that really appeals to God, that really sees the need. as like, God, we need something. Special here, we need you to finish off for uh, some thoughts on communion. We thought about some Old Testament examples, but like uh, Malcolm said, Jesus interceded as well. Mm. He interceded for Peter, and then, uh, but he's also still interceding for us. He interceded for us on the cross. Mm. But uh, in Hebrews 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, He, talking about Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through Him, because He always lives to intercede for them. Jesus is still interceding. Yes, He interceded when He was on earth, many times, with the adulterous women, He interceded. He said, Who will pick up the first stone? Save their life. He interceded for His disciples in John 17, a whole chapter. He says, my prayer is for them. He interceded with a blind man by healing him. He interceded at the wedding in Kana, turning water into wine. With a paralytic, with everybody that He healed was really an intercession. He interceded even these last moments on the cross when He prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. His intercession is what saved me from my sins, what gave me salvation. And if you're a disciple, that's what he did for you. But he's still doing that. He's still doing that for everybody who wants to come to him and say, Jesus, please, I'm stuck. I need your help. Please intercede for me. Please save me. And he still intercedes. And I'm sure he's still sheets in prayer, where he sort of just leans over to Dad and says, Dad, please help over there. When we have communion now, let's uh, let's think about that. Let's think about um, in what ways Jesus has interceded in our lives. Um, the big way of course interceding on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can be saved. Let's uh, pray for the bread in the mind. Dear God and Heavenly Father, God, it is always amazing to me that we can even pray to you, God. Father, and to know that uh, you can do amazing things, Father. You can move mountains, Father, and you are willing to move mountains, just in answer to our prayers, God. Father, we thank you and praise you for that, God. Thank you, God, for interceding for us, God by sending your own son to, to die on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And Jesus, thank you for interceding for us in that act of the crucifixion. Father, thank you for the body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilt for us. Uh, please forgive us our sins and uh, please bless the bread we're about to have that represents that body and the fruit of the vine present that represents us mm mm-hmm.